When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alrighty, welcome to the Celtics Lab podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. I am Cameron Tuftabai. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. Justin apologizes in advance for choppy internet down in Mexico City. It's not quite the dog days of the offseason yet, but we're pretty much there. And so we thought we'd bring in a special guest to talk about, yes, what's going on with the Celtics, but also kind of how the sausage gets made. So we invited in Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe and the A-List podcast. Gary, how are you? Great, guys. Good to be here. Good to be here. I've yeah. uh, watched uh, some of your podcasts, so good stuff. So Likewise. Yeah, it was a little shocked to get the invitation, but appreciate it. <laughs> this is the big leagues, Gary. Welcome. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what we'll do is we'll go through the news. There's some stuff, like I just said. And then really, Gary, it's not just that you know how to break a story, but you know how to break kind of delicate stories in the world of sports. Some journalists either don't care to or don't uh, or prefer not to talk about the off the court stuff. But you you do that and you do that well. So we're going to talk to you about what that looks like. But first, because not that's not everyone's cup of tea. We'll just go around the dial talking about some news stuff. And um, Gary, just off the jump, where are you at with the Celtics offseason? There's been a lot of movement. I'm sure you've talked about it. You've written about it. Um, but kind of what's your summary on how you feel about this offseason? Um, I mean, I, obviously, I think they kind of made a, a huge save by signing Jalen and, and getting some good publicity at the end of the month. Um, the Marcus thing, I think, is still out. The jury's still out on that. I do think they had to make some changes. I don't know if they could have ran the same team back next year and it's just expected different results or expected Missoula just to get better or expected mm-hmm. the coach, the new coaching staff just to have a great impact. Um, I think the Marcus move was as much about maybe off court and, and model citizen, nothing, nothing to do with that, but like yeah. um, his impact, his leadership, maybe hovering a little too much and allowing Jalen and Jason to be more be, be freer and just kind of seeing what it's like to go a different direction. And that's not to blame Marcus for anything that's happened over the last seven, eight years in terms of failing to reach the finals and then failing to win the finals in, in 2022. But I think they knew someone had to go. And then obviously the Brogdon thing wasn't going to work salary wise. Um, Something had to give. And Memphis has been really hot on Marcus for a few years now. Mm. Um, And so I just think they felt like they need to add a wrinkle to the offense with Porzingis. Um, The Grant thing I think will hurt. I, I think Grant really wanted to come back, but, kind of came to the realization it wasn't going to happen the Celtics I felt like think like O'Shea Brissett Brissett might be able to fill in that role and he's more athletic and he's hungry he's 25 so the same age is Grant maybe a bigger opportunity he didn't have a great year last year in Indiana he had a good year the year before so I think they I think they felt like we can get kind of a grant for cheaper money we don't want to pay $13 million per year for grant services. We'd rather pay two and a half for Brissett and maybe take the hit and hope that other guys respond like Hauser. Let's hope, you know, uh, Brogdon has a, has a good year and a healthy, healthy year. Derek White takes another step forward. Uh, maybe they add someone uh, on a minimum contract. They have 17 players on the contract. So I feel like it's a C plus with the, you know, I still am not sure about Derek White at point guard. 
Um, mm-hmm. That's something I'm really concerned about. Nothing against Derek, but Derek's not a guy who's great under pressure. I think he was allowed to relax last year, and he filled a role because there was not many expectations. Now he's running the offense. Um, you know, he's going to try to get the ball past Pat Bev and other, you know, fiery defenders are going to try to get in his head. Like, I've, I'm a little concerned about that. I would have probably been more comfortable if Brogdon was running point um, and moving back to the role he had in Milwaukee in his early days in Indiana. But we'll see what happens with that. Maybe it's a great idea. Maybe it works amazingly. But I think that they need another point guard. And then kind of putting Pritchard into this role of, we don't need you, we don't need you, we don't need you, now we need you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that does to his head. And I think him playing for the USA Select Team is a really good decision. I think that's really going to help him. But he spent last year wanting out. And now you've got and, – and Joe didn't particularly like him. But now suddenly he's going to be a real asset. And then you've got to talk Malcolm off the ledge in terms of like, yeah, we're really about to trade you. And now welcome back. You know, you've – and, you know, here's a starting slot in the backcourt if that's the case. Or here's, you know, re- revise your six-man-of-the-year role and get over it. And I think Malcolm's professional enough to do that. He's 30, so he's not a young man anymore. Um, he's not probably as emotional, but I'm sure he was. he's not feeling good um, about what happened and the fact that Missoula kind of acknowledged that there's definitely needs to be conversations with him and it hasn't been resolved, I think is a concern. So at this point, I give it a CC plus. Uh, Siling Jalen was a solid move. It had to happen. Um, you got to get over the three hundred four million because it's gonna. I mean, I think Wimbayama is gonna be the first half billion dollar player. So we're heading toward that. Like the spaceship is soaring to to like uh, the first. Someone's gonna sign the five year, five hundred million dollar deal. It's coming in the next seven to eight years or five to six years. So let's see what happens when when Miyama's rookie deals up or, or sorry, he goes into that third contract, like, you know, like Jalen just did and Jason's about to do. Um, But uh, I still think they need some reinforcements. I think they need a tough guy. I think they need a guy who's, they need a veteran. If it's Blake, I mean, any, I, I, I just don't like the mentality that, you don't ever want to take any chances on a guy. Like, I don't like the, well, we don't want DeMarcus Cousins because, like, you need a tough guy. You need a guy to lay some hat. You need intensity. Basically, Gabe Vincent called him out and was just like they're bitching at each other. They're not, like, the the soft reputation is still there. Miami t- out-toughed them, right? Miami's a tougher team. And now and Marcus and, and Grant, who... Grant yeah, with Marcus and Grant. Now you've lost your toughest guy and a guy who's not backing down from anybody. And I had no problem what he said to J- Jimmy Butler. I hate the poke the bear s- scenario and the that I hated that because you know you. I hated <laughs> that nobody came to his defense. And as I've talked with Cedric Maxwell over the years. I need to see Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown like get in somebody's face and say, "Hey, man, don't fucking foul me like that." Excuse my language. Don't foul oh, me like that. Don't don't do that. Yeah. I don't. I need. I need to see some damn. I need to see some toughness out of those two. Jalen, a little bit of that from Jalen. Jalen, a little bit. Jason still, like, I guess he doesn't want it to people to see that they get under his skin, but he's got to be a he's got to be an MF out there now. Like it's it, you know. He's no, he's not 19 anymore. Like he's 25, be 26 next year. If he wants to win MVP, if he wants to lead his team to the finals, Jason needs to be an MF, like every night, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he's MF most of the nights, but he's got to be more vocal. He's got to get in people's faces. He's got to be the leader of this franchise. So I given the all that uncertainty, I can't give him anything more than like a C plus. And I like Porzingis. When he's healthy, 
I think that 32-13 and six game he had against the Celtics in April did a, <laughs> probably got him to Boston. Um, but he's got to play. He's got to play a lot. And then we'll see what happens. I think Robert Williams, they need more out of him. Like he's got to develop a damn post move. Like yeah. Robert, <laughs> develop. You've been in the league five years now, man. Go to and, and it looks like he is um working on his game. And we all seen the videos, although the off-season workout videos are probably the, the most annoying aspect of the, covering the NBA is the oh, he's in great shape, oh, he's looking good, oh, he's hitting you know, 200 threes a day, like whatever, man. Like, but I need to see more from Robert Williams. I'm not sure what to expect from Horford um, at age 37. I don't think they should expect as much as they got. I think he got off a really good start that he got tired of the season ended. And now they've got him for two more years. So they're going to figure something out. So there's a lot of uncertainties in this team. It could all work out great, but I think they need some more reinforcements. Quick question for you related to that. Um, so you mentioned that the coaching staff was bolstered and uh, that, you know, obviously they brought in Charles Lee and Sam Cassell. Gary, you've been with the team for a while now and you were here when Sam Cassell was in the building. Um, and so I guess my question is, knowing what you know, just as a reporter, you know, having been around Sam Cassell, what does he bring as far as a hire goes to this team, just from your perspective? Well, I think what this staff has missed, I think they had it with Jerome Allen, right? Yeah. But he was a Brad guy, so when he make, took over, he was gone. He went to Detroit. Um, they need a guy who played the game. They need a guy relatively young. Now, uh, Cassell's 53, but he's more of a big brother than he is a father, right? Um, they need I, – I think Cassell will keep it real. I think he has a passion for the Celtics. I think that he's been around the block. He's been an assistant for 15 years now. Like, I think he jumped into coaching right after he retired. He's won three championships. He's exactly what the Celtics needed, didn't have last year. Like, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It was, it was a complete disservice for Brad not to help out. Brad did, did no, Joe no favors last year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely none. You didn't hire any assistants to to replace. You didn't hire another coach to replace Eme. You didn't hire a coach. You know, you could add a woman coach. Like, you know, you lost Carol Austin a few years ago. You need a different perspective. You could have, you know, there's nothing wrong with a female coach. It's nothing wrong right. with adding in the middle of the season. It's nothing wrong. There's 20 guys out here who can't wait to get out of the house, who know NBA ball, former coaches that you could have added to that staff midseason when Stoudemire left that could have enhanced and helped Joe out. You left Joe on an island with guys who weren't his guys. And you saw the minute, I mean, I I knew they were leading during the playoffs. Everybody knew. Everybody knew when 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 Ime got that Houston job, everybody knew that Miles not now Miles went to New Orleans. He didn't go to Houston. Uh, my man, I like Mike Moser, good rising young coach, and then Sullivan. They all everybody knew they were gone. So what does that say? So I think Cassell adds stability, and so is Charles Lee. So I think it's really um, important that that happened and that Joe signed off. And what hurts Joe is that he might not have a lot of friends around the league because he's just he's new. He just joined a 19. He never coached in the NBA before he got to Boston. He coached D2. So his guys are more college guys, right? So the fact that he's developed a relationship – and that Cassell is signed on. Now, could Cassell replace him if they start 10 and 18? Of course he could. The same with Charles Lee. Both of them are looking to be head coaches. But that's a chance that you got to freaking take. Like, you got to enhance your staff. That staff last year, a bunch of nice guys, but when Stoudemire left, it was not the same. Stoudemire filled that old head role, 
that the former NBA player, that's really important to these guys. And Cassell has the resume. They know it. They've seen it, right? They've seen it with the Celtics. They know he won. Now they, they weren't born then, Jason and Jalen. Okay. They saw him win titles in 94, 94 and 95 um, with the Rockets so they can watch on YouTube or NBA TV. So I think that was a critical hire to get him. I think Brad was very well aware that he dropped the ball on not helping Joe and that coaching staff during last year. Yeah, it's interesting. You, I think you know Joe way better than I do, but as much as maybe he was a little inflexible with some of his strategies, he seems like such a let's do this as a community kind of guy that I think he would have taken help. I think he would have taken a mentor. Um, maybe he would have taken a little bit of extra finagling to get him to sign on to some new messaging, but he doesn't strike me as a tyrant. I mean, he, he is constantly, you know, taking blame for things going wrong and then shining a light on things that he did pretty well elsewhere. So yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with that entirely. Also, Gary, to your point, um, I think that the Tatum needs to, he's he's a very emotional guy after games right when they win he's really happy and when they quiet when they lose you could see he's a little more quiet and so i i do wonder if he's one he's trying to protect himself during the game and i'd love to see him you know take that emotion and actually gear it towards something other than you know the post-game press conference because when the emotion shows up there it's useless um well i think with jason okay Jason, when he came into the league, was very robotic. He was very duke. He was very like he, he was afraid of his own shadow. Okay, he is broken out of that. Okay, the, all the marketing he's on. I mean, he's on. Yeah, you guys ever remember? Um, y'all ever see the movie Celtic Pride? Yeah. Okay, and when they kidnapped Damon Wayans, and they said if there's no commercials on that he's on for ten minutes, they'll let him go. <laughs> Not Dan Aykroyd. God. It was Dan Aykroyd and the other guy. Um, the, the, I blocked that movie out of my my consciousness. Okay, it was I a can. bad movie, but if you haven't <laughs> seen it, it's 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 absurdly hilarious because Damon Wayans plays this kind of Carl Malone type superstar playing for the Utah Jazz. They kidnap him before a big game against the Celtics. So they say if we if we could watch television and not see your commercial, any commercial for 10 minutes, then we'll let you go. And of course, like after eight minutes, there's a commercial with like him doing, uh, you know, like Nutter Butters or something, right? So I just feel like that way about Jason, like Subway, Gatorade, like everything is Jason. So he's broken out of his shell. Like he's become a great endorser. He has fun. He enjoys his life. He loves his son and his family. Great. But leadership needs to be the next responsibility. He's living the NBA life, and he enjoys it. You know, he's making great money. He's going to make $320 million in about 12 months. Um, life is wonderful. And he seems to, you know, he's not in any trouble, doesn't do anything off the floor. But it's now time for Jason to translate that to being a leader of the franchise, not the best player, but the leader. And I think the Marcus void has to force that to happen because I think maybe there was a perception that Marcus was just too much influence over that organization, too much influence over the franchise. Marcus was now not held accountable for bad shots. He did whatever the hell he wanted to do because you knew eventually he was going to make a great play game saving play, but there was, that step back three pointer in Game Seven against Miami. There was the foul against Trey Young in Game in Game um, in Game Five when they could have closed out that series. There was just there was the sequence in Game Seven in twenty two against Miami where they were up what sixteen, and then Marcus decided he was going to like bring it on home, and, and Miami went on like a thirteen nothing run or whatever, a fourteen two run or whatever to set up Jimmy Butler's missed three like. That was all Marcus. Like Marcus yeah. was Marcus was like, I'm bringing this home, baby. Like this is me. I'm gonna put my fingerprint, and then it just almost fell apart. So, I think that now Jason has to like take a next step off the, mentally, and um, I think this is a critical season for him. Obviously, he's gonna get paid. It's not financially critical because 
whatever happens, he's going to get paid and he's going to get max. Yeah. It ain't going to be no Jalen drama. Like ain't going to be no freaking trade kickers and fighting over, you know, player option. Jason will probably demand a player option after year four. The Celtics will have to give him that or whatever, but this ain't going to be the, the suspense and the drama that Jalen's was. Jason's going to get a 329 or whatever it is. Right. But Jason has, he's a top 10 player. You want to be a top three player? And that spot, their spots open. You know, mm-hmm. LeBron has dropped. So it's Jokic. It is Embiid. Sorry, not even say Embiid. Giannis. And maybe Embiid. Maybe. You know, you think yeah. you think Steph Embiid. Curry have, oh, yeah, Curry. Curry. So th- there's some mm-hmm. spots open. There's some debate to be had. So Jason has to take that step forward off the floor in leadership and then take that step on the floor in terms of being like MVP caliber. Yeah, I, I love um, juxtaposing Jalen and Jason because Jalen you know, does Red Bull and then like MIT Media Lab, and then Jason does like Ruffles and NBA 2K. I mean, the, the things that they put their names behind, no value judgment whatsoever, but they're very different. Um, no, I agree entirely. I mean, I think they're both two young men who are stepping into their prime. We've said a lot in this podcast that – you're just more put together when you're 26, 27 than when you're 22 or 23. So hopefully, you know, that bears out with the Jays. All right. Uh, a few more things, Gary, in the, the world of news. And then we're going to talk about how you break stories and specifically talk about things uh, that are more difficult to talk about. So uh, we would be remiss if we didn't make mention that this is going to be Mike Gorman's last season, or at the very least, he suspects it's going to be his last season. Uh, there's going to be a lot of ink and a lot of podcasting spilled and and uh conducted about gorman in the coming year but just quickly um do you have a good mike gorman story do you remember when you first met him or anything like that um again we have all year to do this but just give us one good mike gorman story honestly my perspective of mike gorman is way different because i grew up on the west coast i grew up in los angeles and i don't know if you guys are old enough to remember big monday um espn's like college basketball okay so you guys are like no what well, the hell? is this when he used to do the big east games yes okay, okay. in the 80s when i was in high school so that's how i got to know mike gorman it had nothing to do with the celtics like in those days like you know regional television was real regional like there was no league pass or anything like that so you could not watch celtics at hawks on a wednesday night unless it was like on tnt national unless it was a national game right there was like league pass did not exist. I know young people are like, what? <laughs> there was a there was a world before league pass. Yes, there was, right? So regional television, like I had no clue. I'd never, you know, you only hear him on. You would only hear him on bits and pieces of highlights of him doing with Tommy on Celtics. So I always used to tell Mike, and I still tell him, like you, he has no idea the the reach that he had because on the West Coast, we all grew up on Big East basketball. That's why mm-hmm. in the 80s, in the 90s, there was this humongous like uh, pillage, transformation, uh, migration of West Coast basketball players East because they would say, well, I could either play, I, I just watched Syracuse Pittsburgh in front of a crowded Pittsburgh arena or whatever, Pittsburgh Civic Center, or I could go, wa- or I could play, or, and I just watched Washington State at UCLA. Like, hell no. Where am I? What's the best atmosphere? It's the Big East. So Gorman was like, Gorman helped recruit tons of kids from the West Coast and L.A. by just doing the the Big East games, right? Because when we got home from schools, um, it was like 4 o'clock. So the big game, the first game, and I grew up in the West Coast, so I'm used to West Coast times, although I've been in the East a long time now. The 4 o'clock game, like that we would that's the game that was a big east game and then the, like i think it was might have been like uh the seven o'clock game might have been or so the six o'clock game might have been like sec or big 10 or something like that probably i think it was big 10 so it was like illinois indiana that didn't really make a big difference although some kids went off to big 10 schools but mike gorman as the voice of the big east i think is completely underrated because that popular that made that conference extremely popular and those games are all wars. And so it was just awesome to hear Gorman and then to meet him 
uh, when I came in here in 09 and be like, you know, and just tell him that. Because they're always oh, been with the Celtics in 79. I was like, yeah, don't relate <laughs> to that. But I do relate to hearing him on Big East, uh, you know, Big East basketball with Vitale or uh, I forgot whoever, whoever was like color analyst or whatever, um, Raftery or whatever. I mean, that's what I grew up on Gorman. That's my special memories of Gorman is like whatever, St. John's at, you know, Villanova and Georgetown at BC. I mean, you know, Providence. It was just like, yeah, or yeah, UConn. <laughs> I don't know how that came to my head suddenly, but UConn. Um, that was, that was the, those were the, I mean, and the funny thing is that helped a lot of kids from LA. Like, that's why the Pac 12, well, that's you know, one of the reasons why the Pac 12 is like disintegrating as we speak. But another reason why the Pac-12 in the 70s was this powerful conference in the 80s that lost all of its luster because the best kids said, I want to I want to play I want to play at Madison Square Garden. I want to play at Boston Garden. I want to play at the Spectrum. You know, I want to play I want to play in these places. I want to like what like I don't want to play at, you know, Frio Court in Pullman, Washington. Like I want to play. <laughs> And I want to I want to play in the for the big in the Big East. So Gorman, with his descriptions of those games, and obviously the games itself, helped pull a lot of kid, West Coast kids east. And it was just that's what we grew up on. It was just that kind of basketball. Okay, I got a couple of things to say. First, Justin, I was politely going to wait to say hail to Pitt. I also <laughs> come from a former former Big East team. Um, second. I think I've said this a bunch of times on this podcast. Requiem for a Big East continues to be my favorite 30 for 30. So uh, just while we're on the topic, people should check that out. And Gary, what I liked about that was you have to play it cool when you are a young person covering the NBA. And so I'll, I'll embarrass you a little bit. You know, you're someone I look up to. There's a whole suite of NBA writers that I really look up to. But when you're in the halls of TD Garden, there's always a bigger fish. Because, you know, I'm maybe I'm looking up to you and then you're looking up to Mike. And Mike's looking up to... Uh, Satch when he comes through or whatever like there's just such a chain of influence uh, and like inspirational voices and people walking down the, the back halls it's so fun so uh, that I like that story a lot okay a few more news things and then let's get into what we call the Celtics lab um, the World Cup FIBA World Cup is going to kick off shortly enough Al Horford is playing for the Dominican uh, Porzingis is playing for Latvia and uh, Brissett is playing for Canada which is a pretty stacked team um, yeah, they really they're really trying to go to the Olympics. Like <laughs> they're they're yeah, like it's been too long in Canada Team Canada. I think last time they lost to Venezuela, like in the in, in the qualifier to make to make it to Japan. So I think they've they're pulling, I mean, they're pulling everybody all and they've got a, a great deal of talent, but none of them all, all played together. So it's just fascinating to see how really desperately Canada wants to get to get to the Paris games because it's kind of sad with all the talent since the Vince Carter generation has brought all this talent from Canada. They've yet to qualify. They haven't qualified for the Olympics, I think since 2000. So, or 96 or 2001 of them. So it's pretty sad. Uh, but it's, I, I, I guess you could root for them because I mean, you know, it's just been too long coming. And I said, I think I remember like they lost to, I want to say it was Venezuela, in like overtime of mm -hmm. like four or five years. Right, yeah. Yeah. Like they lost to Venezuela and, you know, and not like nothing against Venezuela, but they don't have any NBA players. And so for them to lose to Venezuela for a chance to reach uh, Japan in the Olympics. So, yeah, I would not be, I'm not surprised Reset got drawn in to playing for Team Canada. I mean, good for him. It's good exposure to your point. It's, it's a pretty solid team. I'm just excited. You know, it's in East Asia. It's predominantly in the Philippines. So you like wake up to high level basketball games. It's gonna be fun. Um, I'm not gonna say anything about injuries or jinxing or anything like that. Let's just keep it moving. How's that? Okay. Uh, one last thing. I just want to shout out my guy Bobby Kravitsky at SI. He talked to Dwayne Wade, and Dwayne Wade had a really glowing review of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So if you haven't, go check that out. And uh, shout out to my friend Bobby. Okay, Gary. Sports are easy enough to talk about. The ball either went in the hoop or it didn't. But it, it's also, you know, a reflection of our society. And people who think sports aren't pol politics, I think they have that wrong. 
let's respect some people want to use sports as an escape. That's a really privileged position. But if that's your case, you know, you can check out. Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe. Um, but we want to talk to you about covering sports with, with um, multiple lenses because we're more interested in that. You've got two history teachers and a PhD in anthropology on the call. So obviously we're going to gravitate towards that. Um, and as best we can tell, you do it better than most when it comes to race, when it comes to politics, when it comes to things that can be difficult, not just to communicate and write about, but also strike a chord with an audience because not all sports fans want to talk about that stuff or read that stuff. Um, has that always been an interest of yours, you know, as pursuing a sports journalism career? And, and how do you approach speaking truth to power in that way? Um, like, how do you pick up that kind of story? How do you advocate for telling that story, either with the Globe or on the podcast? Um, like, where in you is that coming from? And like, what does that process look like? Um, I, I think it, I think that journalism has changed considerably over the last 20 years and i think that it's i think that the point of journalism is to tell a story the point of journalism is to p get to know people the, my my biggest issue with young journalists is they don't talk to anybody like they don't they're afraid to talk to someone outside their box and that means you know, getting to being 25 and you, you know, you might have to get to know Danny Ainge. You might have to get to know Brad. Brad's a little different. He's a little younger. The first coach I covered as a professional when I covered the NBA was Bill Fitch. And that was 1996. I was young. And Bill had better days. He was coaching the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, he was just, he was trying to finish it out. Um, he was in a dead end job. The Clippers, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I would love to hear the impressions of young people about the Clippers because it's Kawhi and Paul and CP3 and Blob City. Like, nah, man, this was the worst sports franchise in professional sports, right? Um, and he, and they played at the sports arena, which it was great when the Lakers played there in 1962 with Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, but this was like 1996. So it was the worst arena in the league. So I had to get to know him. Right. And I couldn't be afraid to talk to him. I couldn't be afraid to accept his criticism. Um, I couldn't be afraid for him jumping on me at one-on-ones when he thought I was wrong about something or he read something I wrote. You have to be able to talk to people. And you have to be able to relate to people. And as a journalist, it's your damn job to figure out how to relate to them. My old boss, a guy named Eric Sonheimer, is like this prep guru in L.A. He still does prep, prep sports. He would have me call these high school coaches. I cover high school. I start like I know people like, what? You cover high school? What is that? Like, you know, kids out of college now, they're like, oh, I'm, I want to cover the Celtics. And this could be sometimes realistic. But what you don't learn when you jump into professional sports is how to really talk to people and relate to people. So my boss would have me talk to people, call them on Monday nights and just talk about their teams, talk about their players, not off the record, just talk to them. Now, if they give you something, a nugget, whatever. So that's how I developed the ability to write about things off the field. What's some of your guys going through? What is going on? Oh, my running back, you know, his mom just got over cancer. And, but she bakes cookies every, you know, Friday for the games. Wow. So, you know, can I go to practice and talk to him? Yeah. You know, can, and it, you know, that that's, that's a great story. And I just think communication is critical. And so at this stage of my career, like, I feel like I should be able to write anything. I have the power to write anything. Thanks. Thanks to the globe and the people, the powers that be. Um, I want to inform the readers. I want people who don't read sports to stop and say, okay, I want to read that story. I'm not into fashion. So if you write something too fashionista, like you're losing me. The same with certain parts of business, you know, the same with certain parts of the sections of the paper or website, like you're going to lose me. If you get deep into politics and you're talking like, I need it broken down a little bit basic so I can understand it and, and digest it and enjoy it. So I think that that's the one thing that I try to do. And some of the subjects are hard. Some people, uh, but you have to understand too, like 
people want to tell you things like people don't like keeping secrets. So the goal as a journalist is you don't want them to keep secrets. You want them to be comfortable enough to tell you what's going on so you can break stories, so you can write expansive pieces. Because if you know something, Cameron, if you know something juicy, right? Like it's great to hold it in and confide it, but it's better when you tell someone because you want to see the reaction and be like, what? Mm -hmm. No, like that's a power that people like to have. No one likes to keep secrets. That's not an enjoyable skill. It's a skill, but no one likes to keep secrets. Not my wife. My, I tell my wife things and she just blabs to people. And I'm just like, did you really say I thought that was confidential? Like, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's a few things that she said that I just like, I can't believe you. Like, I thought that was between us. It's not. Or I have to like preface it. Do not tell anyone what I'm about to say or how I feel. So to me, it's a matter of people skills. This job is people skills speaking to people. Hello, how are you? How you doing? Um, you know, I mean, Cameron, you're part of like, it bothers the hell out of me when folks don't ask questions in the scrum. Mm -hmm. The guys get the first row seats and I'm just, okay, I don't know who it is. They, they record it. They never ask a question. They why sit in the front row or get a job at a courthouse where you could be a stenographer. <laughs> No, I think about that a lot. I mean, quite frankly, and I'm not I try saying, to get... and I'm not saying like I'm not saying quit the business, but eventually break out of your. Sh Joe's not going to punch you. Right. Now Joe will snap your, you know, bite your head off. But imagine if you covered Greg Popovich. How do you think that would go? Like no, Joe, Joe's good practice for that. I think yes, you can't be scared of the coach. You can't um, be scared of players. You can't be scared of the, if if you are scared, you're in the wrong business. And sometimes you've got to ask gutsy questions. Now, if it's a question that's completely inappropriate or it should be for private, you've got to know that. And it's sometimes okay to ask, hey, um, if you ask someone more veteran, if someone asks me, I have a question, this is not like, I pull them aside. Don't ask that in a scrum with cameras, CLNS Media, NBC Sports Boston. Don't do that. This is not going to help you. You're going to win the battle by getting a good answer that's going to be on SportsCenter, and you're going to lose the war because it's like I'm not talking to that dude anymore or gal, yep. whatever, right, mm -hmm. or person. So it's just a it's a people's it's a people business. It still is, although I don't think I think people jump in for the love of the game, which is admirable. They jump in for the love of the numbers, but this game is way more than numbers. It's just way more than analytics. There's a lot of everyone now in this generation, the baby, no baby, the generation, was it Z? We're the youngest ones. Yeah, there. Gen Z. Z? Okay. They all have some type of story. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not at, when I, my generation, most of us came from two parent homes or we knew who our fathers were. If we didn't come from two, I came from one parent home, but obviously my parents divorced. Like I knew my dad and all that. Like that's not necessarily the case. And I live with my mother. My mother raised me like that's that's kind of, you know, stereotypical. Right. Nowadays, that doesn't that's not always the case. People live with their grandparents, their aunts, surrogate parents. There's every kid has a pretty fascinating story. It's a matter of, of finding out. And that's what, what I do as I get older and I see the players get younger. You know, you just have to learn how to talk to them. Some things I'm not. I'm not going to come up and talk to him about hip hop. Like we don't have the same, like I'm not going to come up to Jordan Walsh, who was literally born in 2004. Okay. And try to talk to some him about something 2000, like way current that like, that's not me. Like I'm going to talk to him about Tennessee, sorry, Arkansas. I'm going to talk to him about maybe being prep. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find something, a commonality. It's not going to be hip hop. It's not going to be like sneakers. Like that's not, of a fish out of water. So you have to find your commonality and then writing about socialist. I think sports and society is like this. When I was at UC Berkeley, I took a, a class sports, sports and society from Harry Edwards 30 years ago. And 
Like it's, I mean, and that was then. Now sports and society, social issues is just like hand and you know glove. So you have to write about things. You should want to write about things more than like analytics and real shooting percentage and things. That's cool. That's cool stuff for your hardcore analytic readers. But if you want to gain more of an audience, then you can write about things that people can really relate to. And I think that these guys and gals, if you cover WNBA or whatever, college, they all have stories. It's just finding finding the stories out, talking to the person, finding a common thread, sometimes talking to their family members, introducing mm-hmm. yourself to their family members. If you see them at every game, you know, don't just put your head down and be like, you know, if you, you know, like head, give them a head now, how you doing? Or just introduce yourself. Like it's a people business, right? You have to be, if you want to do this and not talk to people, you're not going to like, you want to be the silent guy, the silent, like, it's just not going to work, you know? And I know I'm not, I'm naturally, I'm a shy person. You ask anybody who knows you growing up, shy, I was shy. I just pick and choose my moments. I'm not one of those people that are going to walk in and work the room. I'm not people that are going to act like I know somebody when I don't. I'm not going to, you know, say something out, you know, like I will be calculated in how I approach people. But I think that to be good at this, you have to understand that like it's about relationships and also covering breaking stories or covering the social issues should be part of it. Because we're all human beings, like we're all, before I'm a journalist, I'm a person, I care, I watch the news, I watch CNN, I read stories, stuff breaks my heart, I see stuff on, you know, the videos on Twitter and you're like, wow, it's terrible. You see, like all that stuff, you're human. That's that's not a basketball fan. That's not like a journalist. That's just So you want to tell some of those stories. And I think that that's how you get started, and then it becomes a passion. Yeah, very. Oh, Sorry, I just wanted to kind of jump off of a point that you said earlier, which is that you know I think um, you you offer some really kind of interesting thoughts about what you kind of have to be in order to make it in this profession in in sports journalism, and how you have to be able to talk to people. And I think that's all very like pro- like thoughtful and uh, understandable. But I also think that one thing to consider is that um, the landscape in terms of accessibility has also changed a lot in a very short amount of time in just like the last 15 years or so to the point where I think one of the challenges for young sports journalists is just getting a foot in the door, you know, being able to find and talk to the people that you want to talk well, to. Well, I don't agree with that, Alex. Well, well, so I'd love to hear. I'll say this. If I like the Celtics credential everybody. okay, (laughs) like they credential everybody. As a young journalist, I could not have gotten growing up a credential to the Lakers just saying I write Lakers blog. They'd have been like, what is that? And who? (laughs) what is your audience? How many people read Lakers blog and give what is what 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 is on? What is the content? So access, I think, in terms of like um, relationships, like you got to work hard. You got to go to practice. You got to you got to catch these guys, maybe not after a game. I don't think, though, I think access has never been better because now I, I see guys in the media room. I don't know who they work for. Back then, it was the my old like it was the newspapers, the Herald, the Patriot Ledger, Providence, you knew where everybody was from. Now it is Celtic Blog. Now it is uh, CLNS Media. Now it is like places that I've never heard of. And they have a credential. Now, it might not be a season credential. It might be a daily credential. But they are in the room. So you have to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's not easy but I think, and sometimes you you know, like you want to pick and choose your spots. But I'll just say, like when I was younger, if I came to games and never ever asked a question, a veteran reporter would come up to me and go, "What are you here for?" 
Why are you taking all our shit and not contributing anything to the conversation? Are you mute? What's wrong with you? And, you know, like, it was a different generation, right? At different times. But people did not appreciate you showing up every day and just holding your recorder out or having your doing this and then never contributing to the conversation, but yet going on a podcast and speaking for three hours. So you like, well, we know you can talk. So present a question. And this doesn't have to be all the time. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to be Anderson Cooper or whatever. You don't have to just fire away questions, but just bring something to the table where people, you, you are part of the crew that covers this team. If you're at every home game, you know, traveling's different. Economics, totally agree with that. You're part of the crew that covers a team. So contribute. Ask a question. Now, you know, it could be a very specific question, very analytical. Joe loves that stuff. You could ask, Jay, you know, but just contribute. And I think that brings along respect. And the players know that. The players see who ask questions and they don't. You don't think they recognize it. They do. They know who knows what. They know how. They know it. They don't say it. They know it. I remember, like, when I first – Ray Allen knew every – like, he knew everybody. Garnett didn't know our – act like he didn't know our names. He knew our names. Like, they know, right? The players know. But if you – but I, I don't agree with the, like, well, it's hard to get access the last 15 years. I think access is much easier, especially teams like this. Celtics, they credential a lot of people, right? And 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 the, the credential is your invitation to have an impact on how this team is covered. Do you want to take advantage of it? That's the question. Or do you, you know, and if you're not sure of yourself, write down your question. What's okay? Like I used to do that. I don't do that now. But if you are unsure or you think you're gonna stutter, or you think like you, you know, you think, you, you know, it could be something mental. Like, you know, I don't want to affect anybody's mental health or anything, but, you know, I, I get it. It could be, like, hard to be, like, wow, like, all these people are listening and it's live and, like, my mother's watching on NBC Sports Boston and she's going to hear me stutter. Like, if you build it up like that, you know, like, you, you're, you're doing a, a piano solo in, in middle school, I guess you could, you, do, you know, I get it, you, you know. Then write down your question. And that's it's, it's funny you say that, Gary. I'm so I'm, I'll be 31 uh, next month. And sometimes, you know, you're waiting to ask a question to someone like Joe Missoula, who's quite intense. And I have to talk myself down like, actually, we're the same age and this is not a big deal. Um, yeah, Bullpat came on and I, he said something that just really stuck in my side. I, I bring it up all the time. He said, tell people something they couldn't otherwise know or take them places they couldn't be. And I think about that a lot. Uh, at games or, or even like tweeting during games is like, what is the value add? Like, am I adding a perspective or am I able to draw out a, a piece of information that someone else couldn't? Because anyone of anyone who's sitting at the game could ask, Hey, what'd you think of the three point shooting? It takes a little bit more. And I think to your point, the players ex expect so often to be asked, what was up with the shooting? What was going on with the defense? That when you ask them something human, I think that really resonates with them because as much as they love hoops, I mean, more than I could ever understand, and they want to talk about hoops, uh, certainly guys on this Celtics team, but across the league, they have so much more that they want to talk about and say and accomplish. Um, so I, I think what you were identifying before is a two-way street that it's as much do you want to tell a good story as these are guys who have stories to tell and you just have to know. Um, I think, Alex, I, I, as someone who's a little bit in between, I have access, Gary, to your point that someone – in my position 20 years ago would never have, but we were beforehand talking about a lower level player whose agent is running us through the ringer to try to get him possibly on the podcast. So it's both access has never been greater and the management of players as brands, I think is different than it once was, but no, certainly. I mean, it's funny. One of the reasons I sit up front is just because my microphone never catches the audio, but I always recognize like, Oh shit, I just took a primo seat. I better do something with this. Um, all right, um, Gary, we got a few more in terms of uh, questions about story breaking, then we'll cut you loose. Justin, I know there's a few things you wanted to ask. Yeah, so for me, um, Gary, I really appreciate your work in how 
you have approached some very difficult issues, specifically the Ime Odoka situation, which was, in my mind, just an absolute nightmare of a situation for everybody involved. Uh, and coming from this background of anthropology, I'm a little older than the other hosts on this show. I'm in my 40s. And going through the program, getting trained as an anthropologist, we have an infinitely different approach to how we handle sensitive topics. For example, my PhD dissertation was not published for the general public. You had to go to UF and go to the library and request permission because some of the people who I interviewed, if information that they were the behind certain comments, certain interviews that I had, it could endanger some of the members of their family due to local political violence. So they had a radically different than say some newsbreakers who have built this culture in NBA journalism of getting information out there as fast as they can, which is fantastic for who is trading who to what team and who did what in the game last night and all the other stuff. But when it comes to sensitive stuff, like what we saw happening there, the, the ethical construct for dealing with that kind of a story seemed like it was kind of mismatched, but you very quickly, I, in my opinion, found the right tone uh, and I think you kind of helped guide the coverage of your peers as well to be more sharply in favor of that kind of a perspective. And I just wanted to know uh, more about how you process the ethical aspects of like some of these more difficult stories. Huh. Uh, yeah, I mean, how do I put this? There's nothing new under the sun. Like Ime Udoka was not the first professional sports coach, okay, head coach to uh hang out okay get it in uh he was not the first professional athlete or coach to have an affair or not even an affair I'll call it an affair she had an affair um have a relationship with someone who works in the organization that might be considered unethical that is not the first time this has happened okay um I know that it went public and people were shocked, but sports writers like me who have been around a minute, this was not surprised. It was just how it all went down and who it was. Now, what I tried to do in my coverage was just one, explain that it wasn't black and white, okay? It wasn't as much, Udoga made a lot of mistakes, okay? And there's a lot of things, Justin, that I heard about that I can never write, okay, that I know are true, but I can't write, okay, that all that went down in that situation. Um, and I have to pick and choose what to write, what not to write, and but approach it as an ethical topic, like you know, I used to see Terry Francona hanging out at um, Del Frisco's. Like, he was a man about town mm -hmm. when he was manager of the Sox. And we all know about, or if you guys don't, look it up, John Farrell um, and what he was up to, right, with someone, a local media member. And there's been a long tradition of local media members with the Sox, uh, with Sox players. And, like, this is nothing new. So... What I try to do is just put a perspective on it that gave a perspective, a perspective on it that gave a, a view of why the Celtics did what they did and how women in the organization didn't feel protected. Because that was the biggest deal to me. Mm -hmm. And you know, the Celtics were really put in a terrible spot. Do we announce this? Do we go public do we just be quiet you know how how does an organization that finds out this information has it thrust on them how do they handle it so i didn't try to support anybody but i tried to explain the situation from all sides and the fact is is that you don't messed up badly and i don't think you know and, and people could say well it happens all the time and i get it it was just the circumstances, the, the the witch hunt that went on, where who who was it with, and is is it you know pictures being posted online, women in the organization not feeling protected by the Celtics, 
angry at all parties, not only Udoka, but the woman involved. Why would you do this to all of us? Um, so I try to give it a different perspective of like, let's look at it ethically, but let's be honest. Like, you know, I heard things about Udoka from the time he got to Boston. Now they weren't un quote unquote unethical, but he's a 45 year old coach who a lot of women consider good looking. You know, if I had a quarter for every time I, someone said to me, well, he is very good looking like women. And it would be like, okay, thanks. You know, like, you know, <laughs> just, uh, you know, like uh, he has a life and he's single. Okay. Now what people thought of his relationship with Nia Long, all that is very cloudy. So I try to leave that out of it um, because that's not for me to know. They have their own personal agreements. Whatever happened, happened. But what I try to do is is cover from a cover these stories from a perspective of like being fair, taking all sides, and then like what probably should have happened. There should have been better communication. There should have been better protection of the women in the Celtics organization. Did the Celtics handle it perfectly? No, but. Neither did Udoka botched everything. And then, you know, well, why doesn't anything happen to the woman? Because uh, the Celtics are afraid of lawsuits. Uh, if you guys, a few years ago, five years ago, if y'all, the, the, everything hit the fan in Dallas, where the team president was harassing women and approaching women and using his authority to influence women to to date them and all that. It got ugly. They hired a new president. Um, and, you know, in the NBA cleaned house, the Celtics did not want any part of that. So they did what they felt like they had to do. So in that situation, what I try to do is just be fair on all sides. Give the perspective that I know. Give the information that I've heard that I can write. You know, but it's delicate. It's very delicate. Um, certain things I said, I can... I've had people call me and suggest things. I've had people call, text me out the blue, or you know what? Like, if I can't confirm it or with a few parties, I leave it alone. Some of that stuff is just rumors. You know, there was, oh, well, she was uh, related to someone in the, it was the wife of a, of a Celtic executive. Like, it wasn't. And people were really saying that, was really telling that one. That was one that was like almost believable. Um, but you just have to be careful. And, you know, in this business, guys, like, I don't ever stop learning either, right? I think that's why we can relate to young journalists. As veteran journalists, we can help, want to help them because none of us are perfect. And there's stories I read, I read over that I could have wrote this better. I could have done a better job at this. So this is an ever-evolving business where you learn. You learn more about what to write, what not to write, how to approach things sometimes it's just voice inflections like i tell young journalists if someone's had something bad happen to them you do not use your hey how are, like you don't use a certain voice you don't use your perky voice you act like you feel hey man you know if i go to jason you know i'm not hey jason um you know he, terrible you know jailing after game seven you know you phrase the question to get the best answer because your goal is to get the best answer. Your goal is to get the most information. So you have to approach it a certain way, sometimes not robotically, sometimes very human to where the person could be like, okay, you kind of feel where I'm coming from as opposed like, to like, why did you ask me that? Or how, why are you coming at me like that? Like you can't be as robotic and that's practice and also just kind of reading people. So in, in situations where like the Udoka story, I just try to tell all, all sides and also tell the perspective of people who don't have a voice. In this situation, guys, like the women of the Celtics organization did not have a voice. They weren't, they, they haven't been allowed to talk. Okay. So what I do, try to tell their story because a lot of them felt unprotected. Thank you. I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, and I think, Gary, to that point, I mean, you have to respect your audience, but also the 
the people that you're talking about, the people that your story is about. Um, I think that that's a balance that is often missed. I mean, there's just to your point, like an NBA blog is a dime a dozen and whether it's aggregated news or primary source reporting, being able to handle things delicately is easier said than done, especially if you don't have, you know, the boots on the ground experience. Um, so we're, we're lucky to have, you know, people like you covering the team because it's been a complicated few years between COVID, between the Kyrie stuff, some the stuff that Jalen is seeking to do, that's sometimes things that he's still growing, certainly the Doga stuff. Um, Gary, I have to say, I feel like this entire episode was like a personal masterclass. If, as a young Celtics reporter, I feel like this was oh. <laughs> perfect for me. I hope the listeners um, got something out of it too. So let me close up shop and then I have one more question for you. Of course. So, this episode of the Celtics Lab podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. We're talking to Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe and the A-List podcast. Gary, it's July 31st. It is the 16th anniversary of the Kevin Garnett trade. So we'll get you out of here on this. Can you give us one Garnett one-off or your favorite Garnett story? Huh. Um, I just always, Kevin's just such a professional, like in terms of, um, his uh like he always I respect it. This is when we we're in the locker room. He always knew we had a job to do. You know, uh now nah, he didn't act like he didn't ref- now he calls me by my name, but <laughs> when he covered him, he didn't. But he would get up and he would tap me on the leg like as a like it's you know, got you, you know, like he would we, there was there was little sign, there was little signals. Um that he knew and he respected what we did and who we were. And I think that that was always some of the things you get, like you get a guy, you go like, it's not always getting a guy's cell number in the first day. Sometimes it's just a, a pat on the shoulder, a pat on the leg, like, Hey, you know, like it's subtle things, right. Um, that indications that you're building relationships with these guys. And that should be the goal of young reporters. And it doesn't have to be Jason or Jalen. It could be Sam Hauser Peyton Pritchard, or if someone young, J.D. Davidson, like no one goes up to that guy and asks him anything. Why not? If he was like, you know, he's got a story. He's from eight. He's from small town, Alabama, population 8,000. Like, I think he had 18 people or something in his first summer league game. They all drove from Alabama to Vegas. Like, you know, like last year, like that's a, that's good stuff. Like do they, do they caravan. Like he had people there this year. Like he, you know, they go to Charlotte. Like there's so many stories, and so, and and it's not only Jason and Jalen and Marcus, but sometimes it's all the way down the roster. So, you know, to me, um, Garnett was always just a, a guy who knew he had a job. And once he got to respect you, was good. Um, you know, one time I can curse. Can I curse? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know, one time in New Orleans, he's about to tell this story. All his teammates are waiting, and he's like, "I ain't telling it with that light skinned motherfucker in the room." So I just walked out, like, "Hey, it's team time. It's in the locker room." So he referred to me as light skinned motherfucker a couple, you know, more than one occasion, which is fine. Okay, I'm light skinned, you know, whatever. I knew I was out of love, you know. Kevin says a lot worse. I mean, I think everybody gets referred to as some type of uh, expletive. Uh, so I thought that was funny. I just thought, okay, that's cool. And I respect that, you know, like I could have been like, I'm not going anywhere. I am allowed in the locker room. You're like, <laughs> like, you know, um, I was like, man, tell your story. I don't, sometimes you got to know when, you know, you don't want to invade. It's their domain. If they, you know, if he wants to tell a story that he only wants his teammates to hear, I'm not going to sit there and be the stick in the mud because I'm going to lose. I'll win the battle and lose the war. Right. So I said, all right, guys, I'm, uh, you know, light skinned motherfuckers exiting. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like that, that was, that was some of the, that was some of the, the, the stories of covering Garnett. It was a, it was a great experience because by that time, I, I covered him early in his career, not covered like a couple of games that he played when I was a young reporter and he first got to the league and you know, he was young and rash and all that. This time he was, you know, he was aging down. He was, um, you know, had been through the war. So his whole approach was just different. 
and it was it was more of a states elder statesman and i and i it was it was great you know paul was different you know paul was a brash guy so he's obviously he's still a brash guy like you know that's <laughs> uh, another statement <laughs> yeah like uh you know just ask Dwayne Wade but um and then Ray was a professional of all time like knew you needed had a job to do would talk before the games Kevin never talked before the game unless uh, until there was like an NBA mandate that every player had to talk before the game and then they forced Kevin to talk and he ended up being okay with it um you know but it was just fast it was just it, it felt you felt like you were invading the privacy a little bit when he was, cause he's some guys like, I don't want to talk before games, you know um, I'll talk to you after the game, which is fine. Like where you, that's been generations. And then there's Kevin before the game. Cause the league mandated for, I forgot why and it, why it stopped, but it was like this one year. I don't know, maybe like 12, 13 or something where uh, the league was like all the, all 15 guys have to be available pregame, even Kevin. And he was like, all right, I'll talk, you know. And then we we're like, why did you not, why do you stop talking before game? Why you ever stop? Why'd you stop? Why you don't talk? And he's like, he tells a story about Terry Porter, the veteran point guard who was like on his last leg in Minnesota telling him, man, you know, uh, treasure your privacy. You know, don't let those dudes ask you stuff before the game. Just be locked in and focused. So he just, He's like, ever since then, my rookie year in Minnesota, I was like, I'm not talking. So that was, that was a good story, you know? Like, um, so yeah, Kevin, obviously amazing trade. Uh, and if you guys ever watched the uh, Will Chamberlain doc, good stuff there. Um, hope the younger generation learns more about Wilt than just be numbers. Because Wilt, you see the picture and you see numbers and you just, you don't know a lot about the guy because he died in 99 before he could really get his flowers before social media took mm -hmm. off. Like, you know, it, it was, it's sad that he didn't live enough. Like you could say a lot, like obviously another year anniversary of Bill Russell passing away today. Um, but you could say that Russell living 24 years longer, 23, whatever years longer than Will was able to get his flowers, get his awards to see every, the league hug him and say, we appreciate everything you did. And Wilt never really got that. He got that somewhat, but didn't really got that. He died at 63. So um the Wilt the fact that Kevin's in the direction and, and telling stories, I think is a is great. No, he's so good at it. I mean, I think his first few years with the media was a little raw, and I think they he was in a role that didn't suit him, but he's really finding his footing. Yeah, just on the Wilt thing, and then we'll wrap. I always tell my students, just because footage is black and white or a little grainy, you have to get over that because it's a lot more similar to what you see now than the, the quality of the video. Um, and whether it's Russell or Wilt, just, just some of the highlights are timeless. I mean, they're still... I, I don't know, those plumbers and those uh, dentists could jump pretty high. It seemed like yeah, they were pretty athletic like guys. <laughs> All right, Gary Washburn at the Boston Globe. Thanks so much for stopping by. and. Um, with, I, I'm biting my tongue because we ran really long, but now I want to ask you about Derek White's extension. So maybe we'll have you back soon because no I, I bet you have a take. Uh, until then, Gary, thanks so much. And everyone else, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Adios. Yeah.